0: Welcome to Prison Pipeline, produced at the studios of KBOO Portland. I'm Karen James. My guests are both with the Oregon Justice Resource Center. Sarah Barry is staff attorney and Julia Yashimoto is senior advisor and director of the Oregon Justice Resource Center's Women's Justice Project. We'll talk about two reports they recently released about the dysfunctional and dehumanizing culture at Coffee Creek Correctional Facility, Oregon's only women's prison. Sarah and Julia, welcome. Thank you, Karen.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having us.
0: So, Sarah, let's start with your report. It's titled Death by a Thousand Cuts, and there's stories from inside Coffee Creek Correctional Facility. So, why this report and why now? Julia and
2: I, and the other attorney at the Women's Justice Project, we work with women incarcerated at Coffee Creek. And so, we hear a lot of stories from the women about what life is like there and and have, you know, even before I joined the Women's Justice Project has um, been, you know, learning about that. But during the pandemic, we heard many, many uh, stories from our clients and other women at Coffee Creek about conditions there as, you know, the pandemic was making things much more difficult. And then even after the pandemic subsided, I received many panicked phone calls and letters from women just describing a sense of despair and hopelessness that things were worse at the prison than they'd ever been and that there was no really no sign of improvement there was a sense that things reached a new low uh, during the pandemic when many things that sort of make prison life more bearable had been stripped away such as you know visits with, families, programs were lost. There was lockdowns in cell. Time in cell became much more um, frequent and common. People were feeling like, you know, we're just being warehoused here like cattle. And you know, there was also the problem of staff shortage, which has um, contributed to sort of abusive treatment by staff and a more punitive environment. It wasn't something that started with the pandemic. We wanted to um, make clear that there has been a problematic culture at Coffee Creek for a very long time, but things got much worse during the pandemic. And then um, sort of continuing on into the present um, has not gotten better and people are really suffering. And so we wanted to give voice to the women's experiences, uh, what we were hearing and educate the public on and uh, public officials on what's going
0: on, you know, because this needs to change. So Sarah, talk about Coffee Creek, the facility itself.
2: So like you said, it's Oregon's only women's prison and it's located in Wilsonville, which is about 15 miles south of Portland. It includes a minimum security facility and a medium security facility. And those are separate buildings And then it also includes the men's intake facility, where um, any male individual that's sentenced to DOC custody from around the state first goes through an intake process at Coffee Creek. So there's also that within that facility. And then um, there are also special housing units, including a disciplinary segregation unit and mental health infirmary, which those are conditions resembling solitary confinement. There is a medical services area and a hospice area. And then as far as the, what it's like on the medium and minimum sides, the minimum side contains, I believe, um, four dorm housing units, which are like dorm style open areas with the capacity to house about a hundred people each. And the women sleep in bunk beds, bunk beds very close together. The medium side has a more, a little bit harsher institutional feeling to it. It feels very enclosed. And the housing units are um, cells rather than dorms. So there's one unit that is a dorm unit on medium, but the rest are have several housing units and each one has double-decker cells. And then there are two women housed per cell.
0: So everyone is experiencing a workforce shortage, but the staffing crisis in our prison system is creating terrible situations for the adults in custody. And so you mentioned that it's resulting in a lot of lockdowns. So talk more about this.
2: Yeah, the frequency of lockdowns was one of the most alarming things that we have heard about And it was something that became more common during the pandemic as a pandemic related measure to sort of like as the institution was trying to separate different groups from one another to mitigate the spread of COVID. But then it seemed like those lockdowns just became the new norm as a way of managing the population and then With staff shortages, even more so, it was the way that the facility was dealing with the staff shortages was just to keep people in their cells or on their units for long periods of time. That can mean, you know, half a day or just for the day, or it can stretch into 10 days, 14 days, 21 days, where people are spending most of the day up to, you know, around 23 hours a day, in some cases, in a small cell with only um, brief periods outside to, shower or get their meal or make a phone call. And sometimes they have to choose between, do I want to take a shower? Do I want to uh, make a phone call? And you know, those things can also be up to the discretion of the officer on duty. We heard reports of women saying, such and such officer um, won't let us take a shower. It's hard to describe, I think, the level of mental and emotional distress that these lockdowns cause for people. It's pretty upsetting to hear about, you know, that it's connected to all sorts of other problems such as increased self-harm, mental health crises, uh, suicidal ideation, conflict, uh, increased tension among the incarcerated folks, and also with the staff shortages, many of the staff are treating the women with more hostility or using discipline to deal with issues that really aren't called for discipline. And so all of these sort of things that can happen under so-called normal circumstances just have become much more exacerbated with, with the staff shortages.
0: Sarah, we know that mental health challenges are evident in our prison system, and both reports give examples of mental health needs as well as medical needs. So can you talk about those examples from the report?
2: Several women who have are serving long sentences were telling us this is the worst it has ever been. And and one woman told us that she'd been there for 20 years and for the first time she she had been seriously contemplating suicide because of the hopelessness, the sense that things were never going to get better in the facility and it was just unbearable. With the denial of medical care, some of the worst things we hear about. One example that comes to mind is... Um, you know, there's a medical infirmary where people are sometimes housed if they're recovering from a procedure or if they are test positive for COVID-19 or some other reason that that the facility feels they need to be um, held in isolation. So one woman uh, had to go out of the prison for a procedure and was placed in the infirmary for a 14-day hold. And it's essentially like solitary confinement. It's a a very... um, grim, dank, small cell with no natural light, um, and a sort of bed that looks like a hospital bed. So she was placed there for 14 days. And then um, she said, apparently, they forgot she was there. And she was trying to tell them the 14 days was up, and she wanted to return to her unit. And the officer basically told her, I can't do anything for you. After three more days, a psychiatrist came and visited her. And she was in such poor shape, you know, mentally, that the psychiatrist said she needs to be moved out of here immediately, and you know I'm sure there are other examples of Julia. If you have any um, that come to mind,
1: we hear about women who, um, by the time their cancer is identified, it's progressed to such an extensive stage that maybe they're in stage four cancer. I've had clients whose medical needs are not dealt with in a in a timely way and the whatever the issue is has progressed so far that really removal of organs is the the next option for them and so I've had a client who served about seven years in prison walked out of prison with about four less organs than she walked into prison with I mean there are people losing their eyesight there are people who are leaving prison in very debilitating situations and in this past year there have been two deaths in Coffee Creek. The reports that we are getting from the women is that it was in large part related to lack of uh, responsiveness by medical services. The mental health care is very lacking. They do have behavioral health services. The women who are coming into Coffee Creek come in with incredible amounts of trauma, mental health issues that existed prior to the incarceration. The environment of incarceration, the environment of this closed punitive abusive environment just exacerbates mental health issues and if you didn't come in to the prison with you know very knowable mental health concerns you can very easily develop mental health issues and there's just not the services and assistance that people need. So especially in these past few years, like I think Sarah mentioned, we're hearing more reports of suicidal ideation, more reports of suicide attempts and um, self-harm.
2: And I'll just add that what the women are going through affects their families as well. And a recent story I heard is a, a woman who was a mother of a young child. She had some mental health issues that were not being treated at Coffee Creek. And shortly after she came into Coffee Creek because of her mental health issues, got involved into a fight with another woman, and she was punished with 45 days in solitary confinement. And in the first two weeks of solitary confinement, you cannot make any outside phone calls. And this coincided with uh, the holidays. So she was not able to call her young son over the holidays. And, um, and that when she finally was able to call her son, he was hysterical because he didn't understand why she had left him not called him, you know, on Christmas. And so this was a, you know, woman who came in with a lot of trauma, was in a mental health crisis that was not being addressed, then she gets put in solitary confinement and comes out, you know, even more traumatized, and her son is traumatized. And so, you know, this is like the way that they deal with issues.
0: Julia, let's discuss your report. It's called A Serious Response to a Sobering Reality. And the report was commissioned by the Oregon Legislature to conduct a gender-informed practices assessment. So how did all this come about?
1: So the gender-informed practices assessment, it's also known as the GIPA. In 2022, the Oregon State Legislature Passed legislation requiring the state to conduct a gender-informed practices assessment, or a GIPA, of Coffee Creek Correctional Facility. This was a recommendation that came out of a gender-responsive corrections work group that was held uh, previously. And the idea behind the GIPA is, according to the GIPA report, is it's meant to provide prisons with a measured assessment of their adherence to sound principles of gender-responsive evidence-based and trauma-informed policies, programming, and practices from admission to release. So this is supposedly a very comprehensive, and what we see in the GIPA report, a very comprehensive audit or assessment of Coffee Creek Correctional Facility as to whether its practices and facilities are gender-responsive, evidence-based, and trauma-informed. And this GIPA was conducted by a team of -of out-of-state experts from the Women's Justice Institute and the Center for Effective Public Policy. I believe that members of the team also included people who had worked in corrections departments in other states. They began collecting this information in December of 2022, and I believe the assessment went over a a handful of months um, following that. So they reviewed dozens of policies and program documents conducted, they say 53 interviews with Coffee Creek staff and stakeholders. They had numerous focus groups with Coffee Creek staff and Coffee Creek residents and stakeholders, community partners. Uh, They distributed surveys. They conducted 40 observations of different areas of Coffee Creek and different aspects of the prison operations. And I share this to sort of emphasize the very extensive and comprehensive nature of this assessment. In August 2023, the report was made public. It's a 228-page report. It is a long report that breaks down their findings into 12 domains that basically cover the range of operations programs and services at the institution. And this assessment is really unprecedented in Oregon. It is the first comprehensive audit of the functioning and effectiveness of an entire Oregon prison. And the findings in the report were so striking to us and so telling about really the conditions at Coffee Creek and the conditions of the entire agency that we wanted to put out a response to this report to highlight what we were seeing and the takeaways from this report. We also recognized that this report was very long and it's a difficult report for people to read through and you really need to read the the specific language. It's hard to get a sense of the extensive nature of the harms and the dysfunction in the department and at Coffee Creek just by reading the executive summary or the headings. And so I wanted to put together a response where people can understand the basis for our takeaways or our our points from the report and drawing a lot of language from the report, knowing that it's a a long document for people to get through.
0: So Julia, let's talk first about the design. What did the GIPA report say about the design of Coffee Creek?
1: One of the big takeaways is that the GIPA assessors saw that the facilities and the building and structure of Coffee Creek itself was a harmful environment for women. And I would say like the overall takeaway from the GIPA report is that Coffee Creek is not gender responsive, it's not evidence-based and it's not trauma-informed. And it is very apparent in the report that it is not a safe environment for women. And it can never truly be an acceptable place or a safe place for women to live because the problems that exist are of a a very permanent or entrenched nature. And I think that brings us to the buildings and the facilities at Coffee Creek. This is something that is of a permanent structure. And what the assessors found is that various features of the environment can be highly triggering for women, most of whom are survivors of trauma and that the overall design of the facility, and you have to remember that Coffee Creek was modeled after Two Rivers Correctional Institution, which is a men's facility. And so the overall facility design does not match the security requirements for the women. So whether we're talking about the minimum or the medium security side, it is a higher security environment than is really warranted. And the assessors make a point to say that at the time that they were doing the assessment, over half of the residents living at Coffee Creek were of a level one custody classification, meaning that they were of like the lowest security risk and that they should be in an environment that is really of a much lesser restrictive nature. Everything then in the GIPA report is very consistent with what we've been hearing from women over the number of years that we've been working with them at Coffee Creek Correctional Facility. And it was really no surprise to us to hear that the buildings and infrastructure at the prison was traumatizing. To people. When you walk into the medium security side, you are just enclosed by concrete and metal. And as you walk from your living units to your work, to your meals, to, you know, wherever you're going in the facility, you don't see any sky. There is just constant ceiling and walls around you. We hear reports from women about the noise of the doors. So the moving from corridor to corridor in and out of your cell. Everything is the doors all open by some remote sort of access where you don't have the ability to open it on your own. There's an access point that will open it for you. And it's just this very loud clanging sliding door. And this happens on a regular basis on your unit. You know, you're constantly walking on concrete. It's very harsh on your body, harsh on your back. Just everything about the environment is really not built for human beings or a consideration of humans.
0: And as if that's not enough, let's talk about the culture, what's happening inside.
1: So the culture is also one of those aspects that came through in the report as being very problematic. And at Coffee Creek Correctional Facility, what the assessors found is that the culture was one that was very punitive and paramilitary as its default. And these are terms that are used in the GIPA report, punitive, paramilitary, abusive, toxic. And what the GIPA assessors found is that, I'll start by saying that the report also talks about the reporting from the women about the culture at Coffee Creek and the way that they are treated by corrections officers and staff. And from the report, the women at Coffee Creek say, that the staff treats them less than human, without dignity, belittles them, they feel like they're being infantilized, they're experiencing gaslighting, they're being demeaned as part of sort of a routine practice within the prison. And the Gipper report talks about how this type of abusive treatment of the women is instigating safety and security issues. So there's not even a safety and a security reason for doing this, that they can say the GIPA assessors find that this type of culture within the prison is actually creating more safety concerns. One of the big aspects of how this culture is so punitive is the way that the disciplinary system exists in Coffee Creek Correctional Facility. So the GIPA report talks about what they call disciplinary tools, so things like sell-ins, program fails, um, loss of privileges, and disciplinary segregation. And when you talk to the women at Coffee Creek, there is this sense that the staff are using these disciplinary tools to the fullest extent that they can. And the women are constantly in fear or threatened by disciplinary action for the most benign or low level security risks. So we hear about disciplinary actions for people not having their shirts tucked in for people having too many coloring books or pencils in their cells for just the, the smallest type of issue that the, the officer might have that day. One of the challenges with the discipline is that it's completely arbitrary. So it just depends on what officer you're interacting with on that day and in that moment. And what the GIPA assessors say is that these tools that they're using, that is very indicative of the culture in the prison, are not at all evidence-based. This is language from the GIPA report. It reenacts trauma, it causes harm, and it has numerous short and long-term impacts on the women. The women will talk about officers or staff that they feel safe with, that they feel are trying to like look out for women in an appropriate way and to advocate for them in certain spaces. So that sort of care or consideration is completely outshadowed and basically nullified by all of the, the culture that just permeates, this toxic culture that permeates within the institution. One of the significant harms that comes out in the Gipper Report and that we hear many times over from the women at Coffee Creek is the amount of sexual harassment and sexual abuse that occurs in the prison. And this has been a feature of this institution, at least since it opened in 2001. one. It is come to light with the Tony Klein case. And although he was brought to account and charged and convicted and sentenced, that is not the end of the sexual abuse and assault for women at Coffee Creek Correctional Facility. This is going on on a regular and persistent basis. And we have to start addressing the culture within the
0: prison that allows for this to continue on. So how and why does this continue and who is doing anything about this? This is one of the
1: more concerning issues about all of this is how did it get to this point point? one of the other aspects of the GIPA report is it talks about the dysfunction and failings of all the systems in coffee creek correctional facility and so the question is how does a facility get to this point and nobody saw this like there was no sort of oversight there's no state leaders or how can an agency be so ripe with dysfunction this is something that has been ongoing for the Department of Corrections for decades. And that is the question, how are we as a society, as a state, okay with treating people from our communities in this manner, being okay with this level of dysfunction in the agency that we wouldn't allow in any other public agency or system?
0: And you say that our state leaders have been fed propaganda that everything's okay within the prison system. So talk about that and talk about the recommendations for change.
1: What we see with state leaders when they are interested in issues that are going on within the prison, so if a constituent writes to them and contacts them about something happening or the Department of Corrections is presenting at the legislature, like they have to do a recession about you know, their budget or what's happening in the prisons. There is a real gloss and sort of, it seems like propaganda, like shine on all of this dysfunction and harm that is happening. And and none of it is really revealed. I think the most glaring example is the way in which the Oregon Department of Corrections has put out this notion that they're doing something called the Oregon Way, which was former Director Colette Peters' sort of thing that she would always talk about to the legislator, to state leaders about the Oregon Way, which was meant to normalize and humanize life in prison. You talk to anyone in prison, even correction staff themselves, there is nothing humanizing and normalized about the life in prison. And in fact, even in the Gipper Report, the staff themselves talk about how this was never implemented. There is no sort of Oregon Way normalizing and humanizing culture that exists in the prison. I think there's a quote in there that says the Norway model is the Norway model because the Oregon Way was built off of these trips that they took to Norway to try to see how Norway treats their prisoners and and with their correction system. And one of the things that we would hear repeatedly from former director Colette Peters is the care about staff wellness. That was also supposed to be part of the Oregon way that staff wellness was at sort of the top of the priority list for the Oregon Department of Corrections. And what was very clear in the Gipper report is that staff at Coffee Creek do not feel a sense of wellness. They are undergoing unrelenting amounts of stress. One of the officers or staff people described the culture as like crabs in a bucket, where they're even concerned about retaliation from other Uh, staff members at Coffee Creek for things that they're trying to do. So staff wellness is not something that the corrections officers or staff at Coffee Creek feel. So in our recommendations, when reading the GIPA report, coming away from it, understanding that the dysfunction, the problems, the harms in the prison are just too extensive, to really fix i mean just the physical structures themselves are of a permanent nature culture itself even the department of corrections will say it will take years and years to turn that around so our number one recommendation is that we believe state leaders must immediately begin plans for a completely new system of caring for people who are sentenced to odoc custody this is not a small undertaking and so our recommendation is Yes, try to implement the recommendations from the GIPA report, as many as possible, as soon as possible. We have to change and mitigate what we can, the harms that are happening in Coffee Creek. But at the same time, we also have to be thinking about building something completely different. The GIPA report uses the terminology a lot, saying that Coffee Creek, which is a traditional carceral setting, meaning it's very similar to, if not like all the other institutions in the Department of Corrections is not human-centered. That there are parts of the operations and practices in Coffee Creek that are not acceptable for any justice-involved individual. The GIPA report does have a recommendation for the women's facility that it recommends that we don't use like a large facility for women, that we actually have regional justice centers. So there are models out there where we can start looking at to start planning what our new system can look like. The other recommendations that we have in response to the GIPA report include capping the prison population depending on staffing levels the staffing shortages at coffee creek is just creating so much harm and dysfunction in the prisons the corrections officers talk about the amount of mandatory overtime that they have the hours that they spend at the facility but, you know i think there's a quote in the gipper report about how you know they don't have time for their kids birthday parties or to really spend any time with their families they're Going home to sleep and they're coming back to the prison. There are not enough services and programs. Medical services are so dire. Coffee Creek has the highest medical staffing shortage of all the institutions. If we cannot care for people in a dignified way in which we are not creating more harm and, in a lot of ways, permanent injury to people because of our staffing levels, it seems sort of a natural response are thinking that we have to reduce the prison population so that we have enough staff to properly care for people in custody. And so we have examples of where prison caps have also been used in other states in our response, but that's one of our recommendations. Another recommendation that we have is that we believe that an assessment like this, like the GIPA on Coffee Creek, should really be done on all of the institutions. Because the GIPA is strongly indicating if it's not just telling us that these things are happening and these harms and dysfunctions are happening at all of the prisons. And then finally, state leaders must take meaningful oversight of the Oregon Department of Corrections. And so we have three recommendations in our response to the GIPA report that talks about the way each branch of government can take oversight of uh, the Department of Correction.
2: I just wanted to say that I think, you know, one takeaway I hope people have is that we have to move away from this mindset that um, prison is a place where we send people to suffer and then that's the way it should be because they deserve it. Because none of the conditions that people are experiencing at Coffee Creek should be part of their sentence